Hey guys, I'm your host Smita Kanturi and welcome to Journey Podcast, your weekly podcast on transformational journeys. I reached out with both hands and I put my manifestation, my wish out um, and that I wanted a change, that I needed a change and that I needed help. A couple of weeks later, right, um, I, uh, I got a call, I got contacted by the Mrs Earth Australia beauty pageant, right? I'm not a girly kind of chick, right? I didn't even watch the royal wedding. That's how girly I am. Like I was so not. I'm so I was. I am now, but I wasn't right. Um, and I was so flattered. This woman had contacted me. I was 55. She said, "We think you'd be a really good fit for our beauty pageant." And I, after I picked myself up off the floor laughing because I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever heard because I thought, oh, my goodness, my photo must look so good. This is so sweet. I don't even wear dresses. I have no high heel shoes. I'm like the opposite of a beauty queen. And thank you, darling, you've made my mum. So I got back to her and said, oh, babe, thank you so much. You know, yeah, 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 I'm 55. I think I've been past it. And I don't wear dresses. And she's like, no, no, there are older women going in the pageant. And I stopped and I, I looked at, I, I went, okay, I looked at who they were and what they did on their website and they supported this charity called Souls for Souls that collects new and new shoes to distribute to people overseas. And I've always been a philanthropic person because I like giving back to life because that's how we say thank you for all the things that we're given. And I stopped for a minute and I realised, I, I, I'd asked Source Love to be in front of the camera rather than behind the camera for a change. As a hair and makeup artist, I'm always behind the camera and I have this personality. And I sang in bands and stuff and I thought, well, if I was in front of the camera, I might be able to pick up some work doing commercials or something, you know, the middle-aged chick doing commercials. Who knows? Who knows, right? I just, I wasn't specific. So when I checked out this woman, I realised that I was at having a sliding doors moment, right? I could stay where I was at this door, um, miserable, unhappy, in a groundhog day, waking up crying more often than not. Or I could take a leap of faith go through this door and see what was going to happen and trust that I've been given, I've been given a mission. So I did, Smitha. I took the other door. Wow. Wow. So I was on this journey. All of a sudden I'm on this journey and I'm on this journey that's stretching me. Um, I'm on this journey where I have to wear dresses um, and I have to wear high heels and I stretched myself psychologically and I jumped right into it and I became a speaker and I supported this charity and the thing was it became, it became an easy thing because I wasn't doing it for myself I was doing it for the charity and these were the steps that I had to take to be able to speak in public to be presentable to earn money for the charity you know I went along to this business that um, that's called Bartka that I have something to do with um, with my one stretch pull-on skirt, right, um, a, a pair of boots because I didn't have any high heel shoes, my tiara because uh, I thought, well, I've given it to me. I might as well wear it even though I felt a bit silly um, and my sash that said finalist. And I went to these guys and I had a meeting and I said, okay, so you guys, you sponsor men who drive fast, hit fast and run fast. What about a middle-aged beauty queen collecting shoes for a charity? And the guy that ran the, comp runs the company was so blown away by me. He's just like, yes, I'll do it. It's great. I love it. So he gave me PR. He gave me, they sponsored me with Barcard dollars, gave me the ability to buy the dresses that I needed because I was broke. I bought the dresses. I bought shoes. 
jewellery. Um, I had a massive advertising campaign. I had this great idea to promote him and the charity. Great marketing idea. It was awesome. All around the country had this advertising campaign for the charity. I was on TV. I did the, the Tomboy to Beauty Queen story. Um, it was hilarious. It was great. You know, it, was, it was wonderful. Great journey. And all the way along, each time I spoke, I was learning how to be a speaker. I was becoming more and more comfortable talking with people, um, being out there in the public eye because I've been stuck in the, in the house for ages, not really doing these things. I, um, I taught myself how to wear high heel shoes by standing on the edge of my bed. I started off with this. I'm standing on the carpet. I just stood there for a while, like days. And then I start trudging along the carpet. It's, oh, my God, this is so sore, you know. So I learned how to do that. I had a dress made, my very, very first gown, a Cinderella moment. This woman made a gown that I really, that to my design. And I looked down and she had across here where the chest is, the, the fabric was all sheer. And I'd never exposed my skin before. And I looked down, I completely freaked out and burst into tears. I, was like, oh, I can see my cleavage. And she's going, don't look down. I'm going, but I can see it. So she, she was really cool. She was really good. She, she didn't think I was going to win, which is hilarious. So she put applique around here and made it a little bit fuller. So I couldn't see my cleavage and nobody else could. I flew into state um, uh, to be uh, to go into the finals. But what I did do beforehand is I manifested. Every day I would wake up and I would picture myself on the stage listening to me being called the winner, Mrs. Earth Australia, Susie Dent. <laughs> I imagined myself on the stage, not falling over, being announced the winner, what it would feel like. I filled myself up with the joy, the amazement and the gratitude uh, that I'd been, that I'd, that I'd won. And I went down there and I won. I had the most amazing time. I didn't fall over. It was really amazing. I won the first Mrs. Earth Australia. I was competing probably against, I think it was about 16 women back there. There was another woman who was my age, which was great, like literally 55. I was the oldest and I said to her, oh, you know, this is really good and what are we doing and all that sort of stuff. And she said, oh, I'm just here because I like the other girls and all the camaraderie. And I said, oh, that's great, babe. I'm here to win. <laughs> And when I did, which is awesome, and then three months later, um, uh, I was, uh, as the next three months got, was going on, I was going to be going to Vegas to represent Australia in the third biggest beauty pageant system in the world. So I hadn't picked anything dinky um, with, uh, with 36 other women from around the world who had competed in their state and their level to get to their country. So, so it's a, you know, not intimidating at all. Meanwhile, they're all getting ready and I've got these heels that I've won that are five inches. So it's like, okay. You're international now, you've got to get higher. <laughs> Tiny little things. So, so I, I literally, for two weeks, I literally stood on the carpet at the end of my bed. And then I'd walk on the carpet really slowly. I was like a thunderbird, you know, like a puppet. So I really thought I'd fall over and blow a knee or something. And then I moved to tiles and it's pretty scary, but I did it. Um, I managed to, to do the shoes. I went over to Vegas. I, um, I had the most amazing time. I learned how I learned, I got lashes, I had nails, you know, I became quite the girl. Um, I, I embraced, I got these amazing gowns. I embraced myself and 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 pushed myself to wear gowns that had no skin, like a sleeveless thing or one sleeve. I had flesh exposed. I was just so amazed to be there at 55. I was competing. I didn't put, there was a category that, category that I could have put myself in when I was over there, which was the over 40s. And I thought, no, that's too easy. I don't want to do that. I want, I, want, I want the level playing ground. So I was competing against women I could have given birth to. 
which was awesome because that's about women. It's about who we are. It's about our strength, our personality, our confidence and our self-esteem. And I like to think, Smitha, I like to say that I built my, conf- my, my, my self-esteem one frock at a time. Each time I put on a dress and I looked in the mirror and I felt strong and I built my self-esteem a little bit further and I became better at the new craft that I was going to be, that I was being given as a motivational speaker. Uh, so when I was in Vegas, I had the most amazing time. I did the gown section. I glided in my gown, you know, I had my formal wear and there was a swimwear section, right, because that's what they do. That's slowly being disappeared. However, there was no way I was going to wear swimsuit out on a stage, not not in your life, no, no, no. So me and my husband came up with this Bond girl inspired scuba suit, right? So it's still swimwear, technically, grey line, right? It's got, so it had short sleeves, right? It has a collar, zipper, like a boy leg, so it zipped up the front. Uh, and it was like cut in like this and a black, so it made me look, you know, more, with more waist. I strapped a knife, a dive knife to my arm, a dive knife around my waist, one on my thigh, with the really wicked heels, I strut straight out of that stage and I went, rah, at the end of the stage, this powerful, strong woman wearing knives. There's the, the three, I scored, the male judges just thought that their female fantasy had come to life. They loved it. No one had ever seen swimmer like that before. I scored three tens and a 9.5, which was awesome. Change, <laughs> thank you so much, thank you. I changed the swimwear world just by being me and doing what I did. So now women don't have to wear the skimpy bikinis anymore. Now they know it and they can wear a more power outfit and they can cover things up. So I didn't show any cleavage. There's no bottom cheeks and no cleavage. And I scored really highly across the board, which was really great. And that empowered me as well. Uh, And that in me empowering me empowered other people. Um, And I found myself as one of the top six um, and, you know, those moments when they put the foot backstage and you've got things on, you can't hear the question. I'm so excited. <laughs> Such a huge experience. Um, and then I was out on stage being asked a question, which was great because the interview is my skill. Um, and I, I did a really good question. And um, I became, I got uh, called out as, uh, it was the third runner up. So I thought I came third. Um, and I talked to myself, I can't believe I came third. So I thought I came third, which is still just as good as third runner up. Um, and all of a sudden, the press in Australia, I had a PR agent working for me and I had press over here. Um, I was doing, uh, over in Australia at the same time I was in Vegas. I'm doing live crosses to a radio show that I'd been on, uh, talking about my experience, uh, being 55 and placing as Mrs. World Health, Mrs., sorry, Mrs. Earth Health is my international title with a crown and a sash. Uh, which is a perfect title for me. I didn't really want to win because then I would have been all over the world and doing stuff for the next year. What happened to me was the most perfect thing. Um, I I got Mrs Earth Health, which embodies mental, emotional and physical health, which is exactly where I was. I was was perfectly aligned with my self-esteem and my self-confidence. Becoming a beauty queen had helped me find my true authentic self and I was having a blast. I was having a great time. I did, however, have this amazing numbing cream backstage that I rubbed all over my feet. So I could not feel my feet one bit when I walked out there on those shoes. So I wanted to alleviate me actually falling off them. So I did a good job with that. So I came home. I came home um, to being on national television, talking about my charity and uh, what I'd done. Um, I've had so much motivational speaking opportunities since then uh, i've spoken um, in india i've won awards as a motivational speaker in india talking about the me too movement um i uh 
I, I got to talk about my journey as a tomboy to beauty queen and how I built my self-esteem, uh, which was amazing. And it was so lovely to, um, to be able to inspire so many women. I had no idea that that was going to happen. I had no idea that was my journey. I had no idea that I was going to get so much healing from it. Um, I just put a wish out to be in front of the camera and blew my mind um, what Source Love gave me as my journey, which is still going on. And it's so amazing. I'm, I'm here talking to you now, you know. Um, in my journey, and I, I wrote a book as well, so I'm an author now, and I wrote a book about my experiences with Ralph Harris, and it's kind of like an autobiographical thing. So I became an author, which was awesome. Last, actually not last year, December 2019, I decided I would waive my lifetime anonymity and come out and talk to Australia about the Me Too movement and about my journey. The reason I did it is because the defamation laws in my country are not in favour of the victim. They are in favour of the perpetrator. In the UK, in the US and in New Zealand, that is not the case. The laws there are in favour of the victim, which is why the Me Too movement is going ahead in leaps and bounds in America and the UK. We see CEOs being sacked all over the place and women being elevated to the positions that they should be in. Uh, and that's amazing, but it's not really happening here. Australia, love my country. Uh, you know, back in the day, in the 60s and 70s, it was a bit chauvinist in Australia. Um, and there is still a lot of that that probably needs to be uh, sorted out. So I came forward last uh, yeah, in, the, in December 2019 um, on an interview that I'd organised with the ABC on, a, on a, um, a special national television show. It was a really respectful interview about my journey uh, and about what was going on with the Me Too movement. Um, it, uh, it was great. Uh, and that's when I waived my lifetime anonymity so I could talk to people. That then saw me on a journey of not being the beauty queen, which was good because I kind of started, had started to feel a little bit uncomfortable being the chick who put on a dress because I was all empowered now. And I really wanted to talk about the issues in the world that really meant something really, really to me, you know. And it was uh, so being able to talk about the Me Too movement, I got to talk about it in India. I've spoken about it in Australia. Um, I do podcasts on it. And uh, I'm really, really so blessed and, and very grateful that um, my buffy personality gets me to tell my story uh, to other women and other men to help them tell their story. Because even if you tell your story to just one person, you can empower that one person so much. You know, I haven't have one of my husband's mates and he doesn't know this because of my journey. He came forward to me and told me he was raped when he was a boy right, by a priest and he's never told anybody and he will never tell anybody again because he's not that sort of a guy. But that conversation that he had with me has helped him heal and he didn't have it and he's, what, he's 66 now so he had it with me when he was on 65. I know. I know it's huge, and, and with my journey, uh, the thing with um, uh, the, the the judgmental stuff that happened um, when people were judging the uh, the victims that came forward in my case and in the cases all over the world that started, is because people with um, Ralph Harris, he was so loved, just like Bill Cosby in America. These men had had children's programs. You know, I grew up with both these men. Um, and you grow up and you invite these, these really tame, really nice children's programs into your home. You grow up with them. You spend years watching them. You fall in love with them. You know, you love their family. You think these guys are great. You forget that they're actors 
and that's you know and that's not who they are and so as a as a collective society we've recently learned that not everything is is what it seems on television um and people have learned a lot uh about tv and entertainment and what goes on in the world and that that and i think a lot of um i think naivety has been taken which is good the world needs to be not so naive but i what happened with um with the ralph harris thing especially and with bill cosby was the disbelief there was a whole generation of people that were such a huge fan of him they were in complete disbelief that he could have possibly done what he's being accused of doing so on social media people get their they get their anger on right and they see the negative press and the negativity encourages them to be anger to get in their anger state and then they encourage others to get angry and then the anger turns into self-righteous indignation and then it just becomes this viral wave of negativity and it's all from a place of judgment because these people have chosen to think the worst of someone like me right um it takes quite a lot of bravery to come forward and put yourself out to be judged by millions of people around the world to save or to to, to support i should say total strangers um you know and i i like to talk to people about if they put themselves in my situation right and they had to come forward for something really important to really help someone how far would they go would they do it for their family? Would they do it as far as a workmate? Would their family go to second cousins or would they not do it at all? It's all about choice and how people choose to think. And people um, chose to think that the effect on, on, um, on historical cases with women and men like me doesn't count, but it does count. Because I've just told you that even though something kind of tame in the whole sexual scheme of things happened to me when I was 12 it had a profound effect on my life when look when I started having sex when I was like nearly 19 I wouldn't have sex without a t-shirt on I hated my body um I really didn't like myself at all I had incredibly low self-esteem I had a breast reduction when I was 30 because I hated them so much I waited I waited until the operation changed so that they actually kept the milk ducts attached and you could actually use them you know I'd grown these things since I was like 10 you know I wanted to be able to use them for what they're for and um, that was a really empowering moment for me when I was 30 as well, when I had a breast reduction. It was the best thing I ever did. Good for my shoulders as well, because they were really heavy. That's the psychological me uh, was really, I could, you know, that was really good. That's uh, that's great. It was so empowering. Uh, it made me feel really good about my body. I love my body now. I have a beautiful body. I love my body. It's great. I didn't like my body. I needed to have surgery to, do, to fix it, to take it away. And I really believe inside my head, I, I took part of my breast away. To get rid of that what happened when i was 12 and to get it's like it's like i had to cut a part of me away and that i think when you have to cut part of your body away to get rid of stuff that's happened to you kind of lends power to the fact that getting groped on the boob obviously had a bit of a bit of an effect on my life you know i even um i watched a, a thing with ellen degeneres which also blew me away and she was talking about sexual assault when she was younger and a similar thing happened to her. She was groped on the breast as well. And it really did her head in. And it kind of empowered me to think about that. I thought, okay, well, it, it's okay then, you know, even though it feels like it's tame, it's really not. And that's why I think it's all so important that we all share these stories and we'll talk about our journeys and find out who we were and where we've been 
and how far we've come and the steps we've taken to empower ourselves to get to where we are now, you know. Now I'm this woman who is postmenopausal, which is great because yay, yay, my postmenopausal sisters threw it out the other side. I survived menopause. Yay, I'm very pleased about that. Um, but I'm really, I'm really in touch with who I am now. I'm, I'll be 59 in March. I'm so grateful for the entire journey that I've been on in my life. Everything that's happened to me has made me the woman I am today. I'm on an amazing journey, my spiritual self. I'm, um, I'm back in touch with source love. I walk through life um, happy and joyous. I'm full of purpose and hope. Um, I'm actually divorcing my husband, which is really good for our journey because we've reached our use-by date. We will have been together for 30 years, um, but it's time for us to go our separate ways so that he can live a life that with happiness and joy in it and we can do different things. I'm moving towards talking to more people in the world and empowering more women and more men um, to talk about their stories and to talk about people seem to love, want to find out like he did where the bravery came from, that I did what I did came from my 12 year old uh i believe that's who was the brave one i think she was she was a pretty buffy chick and um i really uh it's look my journey is wonderful now i'm ever so grateful i'm very humbled i i receive miracles all the time i'm on a wonderful journey i'm being i have another mentor in my life and i'm i'm being trained to be um, a, a great speaker and, and a great communicator and i'm so very grateful where i am now and and um yeah and i'm Thank you all of you so much for staying with me and listening to my story. It's just wonderful. I look forward to hearing everybody's stories and all the stories that have come before me. Let me ask you uh, what I feel by, I mean, whatever the things that I wanted to hear from you now. Yes. So when you saw somebody confessing about their thing happening on the TV with Ralph, Ralph Harris, so what made you or like what triggered you to come forward? You said like, yes, you want to be there with them, but for you, what is actually happening? What was happening to her at the time is that she was being crucified by the press. She had got a PR agent who was like the biggest PR agent, so a big ego person. They hadn't trained her with what was going to happen to her. She was being called a liar. Her story was being dragged through the mud. She was being pushed around and she was being bullied. And that doesn't cut it for me. I'm not, a, I don't like bullying. Uh, it's like, it just... I came forward to be her champion, uh, to help her with what she was doing. Um, it does not sit well for me to have people be bullied. She was given the wrong information. She was not being protected in the press. I know how the press works. I knew what was going to happen to me if I came forward. I would have been crucified. I'm not stupid because of my career. What I saw with this woman was that she was being so badly treated. She was being manipulated. You can't even find her now. I don't think you'll find her on social media anyway, anywhere. She won the case. She, she encouraged us to come forward. She didn't encourage us. Women, other women came forward to support her and to tell their stories. But I came forward because she was being bullied. Amazing. Amazing. I don't think anybody would just look at it in that way, thinking, yes, the other woman is getting bullied and I wanted to come forward because everybody will be scared at the point of time to hide themselves because they are putting themselves into that situation back to the society or like the press or anybody saying like, yes, I'm also coming forward so you can bully me. That's what it is, right, end of the day. But though you are into that industry and you know the details about how that industry works, coming forward to actually take that action is not a small thing. That was that was an awesome thing. 
Thank you. And you know what? I didn't realize it was awesome. I really didn't. I didn't realize it was a big thing. I was just, I was just being me. I was just, I really had to step up and support this woman. And then I was on this ride of going, you know, with the press and everything like that. And it was just, it was just a really important thing to do. And I kind of feel like um, I was chosen, and I don't mean this in an ego way. Uh, in 1986, I was chosen by Source Love to, to have this happen to me in 1986 so that in 2014, I could be what I was called, which was the strongest witness for the prosecution. I could be this buffy, fearless woman who didn't care what people thought about her or said and came forward for these other women. And we won and it started this whole movement the biggest movement in the world for women to empower women and I'm so very grateful to be part of it I really am and I feel like I've been given this this kind of fearless personality for this journey that I have in life and the, the one I'm on right now um, these things started just before um, in 2013 uh, a court case had happened in Australia again it was a pedophile case where um, someone had come forward she was the child actress on the show she'd been sexually assaulted by him then other women came forward so it had already started in my country um, and and it started by women being brave enough to come forward and support other women in, in other care and in, in um, like she, the other she was she was a child the, the man that he got 10 years he's still in jail he was the star of the show playing the father right it was a sitcom right and we all oh, oh, people again so Australia was already in shock okay we were already reeling from one of our favorite sitcoms finding out that this man was a pedophile several times over and seeing these shots with this young girl sitting on his lap and her describing what was happening to her at the time. And we're looking at these press shots that we've all looked at going, oh. right? So it already happened here. So I didn't start anything. I was just part of the wave um, of, of, I guess, brave women who put themselves out there for others and to tell their own story so that men like that have to um, be accountable for their actions. I guess, and, and, you know, I guess I can say you are the one of the biggest impacted stories with that movement, I guess. Maybe. Let's hope so. As long as my story has an impact to help others heal, I'm very happy. Definitely. I, it is not easy to come forward first off. Standing up for yourself is one thing. Standing up for the other people is another one. And coming forward about a normal person, day-to-day -day person that is working right next to is a different thing. And again, coming forward about a person that is so famous, yeah, like so big shot in the society. So all these things categorize into, yeah, definitely it is a huge thing. Standing up for yourself and standing up for other person. You mentioned like, yes, you couldn't watch watching her, like, uh, sorry, you couldn't watch her getting bullied. So were you always in that kind of a mindset from your childhood? Like yeah. you weren't able to take it? Yes, I've always been like that. Uh, always, always, always. I have a gay brother. Uh, so, you know, my brother would get picked on a little bit sometimes. And I was um, not the person to be picked on. I was a swimming champion. I was fit. I was popular. Uh, people wanted to be my friend. Uh, so I would protect my brother, even though he went to different schools. I've always stood up for myself 
stood up for people being bullied. Um, if I get bullied, I will immediately stand up for myself. I, I stood up for myself in the bank. Uh, I, you know, when I was 19, I've always been this person. There's a part of me that is fully fearless, uh, that just really doesn't like it when people are just lauded over others and don't treat others right. Um, I believe we go through, we have to treat people the way that we like to be treated. And if that doesn't happen, I do. I get a bit eh about it. <laughs> when was the first time you spoke about your story, uh, about your 12-year-old abuse happened? Just here today. <laughs> this is the first time I've talked, no, I've never talked about it before. I wrote about it in my book. Um, which again, um, after my after my TV show, I got picked up by a publicist, which is great, who was going to um, uh, publish the book, distribute it, print it, publish it. And then their lawyers sat on it for about three months while they went through all the libel that was in it. And I got over it. Um, and I'm not selling it now because it's it's not, it doesn't represent me the way I want. But there are chapters in there that I'm going to use as I find, as I've been finding myself on this journey. Um, but what was the question? <laughs> I asked like, yeah, when, when was the first time you spoke about that child abuse? Story? Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. So the first time I talked about it was just, just now. Um, I've written about it, which is really cathartic writing my book because it is for all of us when we write, write about our journey, it's really cathartic. Um, got a lot of stuff out, but this is the first time I've talked about what happened with my 12 year old self. Um, I'm aiming to do a TED talk and I've been working towards speaking on the TED, on the, on the TED stage um, and speaking about as, as the woman who did come forward. And I'm really very aware, um, again, like this journey of mine has been that it's not just about me. It's about the women that I represent and the men that I represent and the tribe that I have with me. Um, and I feel like I'm, uh, like I said, I've kind of been chosen by Source Love as a spokesperson. I'm more than happy to be in this position and, and represent. And talking to you today about my 12-year-old self is really good. It doesn't upset me to talk about it. Um, it's really helped me think about what I'd like to say, the message I'd like to say to the world um, and the message that I'd like to talk about that represents other women and men like me that may not, that, that have had these historical cases, you know, that may have had something happen to them that doesn't seem really bad in the grand scheme of things, but I get to help them empower themselves going, you know what, if it's bad for you, it's bad. Yep. You know, you don't compare yourself with anybody else, you know. Um, it doesn't, if the, the, you know, there's no levels of bad. I mean, there is, but, you know within yourself, it's like, if it's hurt you, it's hurt you. And if we talk about it and we share, we can help you heal. So I'm working towards doing a TED talk and I feel that this is where I'm going and I've felt it for a long time. And I'm, and I'm just leaning into what I should say about my journey. And I feel that today being able to talk about the 12 year old man, I think she's screaming to get, to get out and wants to be heard. So um, it's been wonderful today talking about it. Um, yeah, it's good. I feel this is the message that I should talk to others about too. I, um, I, really, I really feel I'm so honored to have that for the first time coming out from you. And this is the first time that you are attacking. This is the first stage that you're attacking. I'm, I'm oh, thank you. One more question. Thank you, Smitha. We had a beautiful conversation. And like I said to you earlier, we got to have a conversation before we talked here. Um, we're really, uh, we've really uh, connected on a really lovely, authentic level. And when you are speaking with someone that you connect with, I think it makes it easier to share stuff that you haven't shared before. Yep. 
Yep. One question that I have again uh, is related to your beauty pageant that you have. Yeah. You said, uh, when you were in the, as a finalist on the stage, they asked you a question. Would you be able to share what question was that and what is your answer for it? It was a question. So the question that I was asked was actually a question. I can't tell you the exact words because I have menopause memory, so, um, which means I don't have a great one. It'll come back eventually. It's a bit like baby brain. That comes back with menopause. I don't know. But anyway, it was a really good question. It involved basically how I was going to um, uh, change the world as far as the, or what I was doing with the charity and how I was going to educate people as far as the charity Souls for Souls. Um, on my journey, I, um, I actually uh, started this educational thing with schools that I just toyed with, um, uh, which was, um, I called it my GEM initiative, initiative G-E-M, Generational Educational Method. And my method was that the children would educate the parents about uh, shoes going to landfill and about them um, actually donating their shoes and their clothes. A lot of the clothes and the shoes, when people just throw them out, they go to landfill. So they go into the tip, which is what we call it here. And so it's just rubbish. And you need to, you can recycle your rubbish, you can refurbish it, you can reuse it. But um, clothes and shoes are the second biggest cause of landfill in our world. Uh, so encouraging people to recycle is a really big deal if we're going to keep this planet going. Um, and kids and um, sometimes parents at school love to be in competition. So kids love to go home and tell their parents, oh, there's this thing about shoes. And I noticed that when I was doing, I've done a lot of shoe drives, kids really find it really, um, it's really personal to them for them to go, I've got a pair of my shoes that I'd like to donate so another kitty across the road, can, across the world can wear my shoes. So children really get it. So my whole generational educational method was for children to educate the parents. Um, and I got to talk about that on the stage in Vegas, which was great. Um, and because um, I'm very passionate about um, the environment still. The thing that happened here, though, is I was trying to save the charity here. Uh, and unfortunately, I didn't. The charity ended up closing here. The charity Souls for Souls is big in America and around the world. Um, but logistically, for the charity that had been together for uh, going for five years here, um, logistically shipping the shoes and stuff was a bit hard. I chose that charity because my husband works in the transport industry so he could ship shoes from them but because of where they were and, and that's what that brought him into it so he was part of it as well. Uh, but uh, it was the lady who was running it, two small children, it was becoming a bit difficult. Uh, people were giving shoes which was great but not money. Mm. Uh, so financially it was becoming really difficult for them to afford to actually ship the shoes out. Um, so they eventually closed. But um, in the meantime, I still got great traction and awareness for them uh, with um, uh, recycling your shoes and your clothes. And we had, a, and I, I raised, I, I gathered, I don't know, so many tons of shoes that were here in my house. And we shipped them all out from here. It was really good. It was great. So that was what I, I talked about, which is lovely. Awesome. awesome. So if you have given a choice to change something in the world, what would you choose to change? Oh, that's easy. I'd probably pull out all the prime ministers that are male around the world and replace them all with women. Um, in the in the countries that where women are not elevated as second class citizens, I would want to elevate them to second class citizens, where they can show their hair, show themselves, um, and um, 
and uh, learn to drive and do all the things that they're supposed to do and empower women to be of equal status to men in the countries where they're not. That'd be good because then the women could say, sit down, shut up, eat your dinner, and you're not going to go and do anything and blow bombs or anything or anything like that. You're going to sit down and shut up. And they would actually uh, listen to women. I believe that in countries where the, um, the yin and the yang of male and female dominance is out of whack, it's the male dominant countries that are not doing well because we need the female in there because we're very even and we need to even it all out. So women ruling the world all over the place would be super good for me. Thank you. <laughs> We've had a female prime minister in my country. There's a female prime minister in New Zealand, Jacinda Ahern, who is just rocking it. She's amazing. Britain's had a Brit, you know, Britain's had a Maggie Thatcher. You know, if we have America, this is happening. Women are coming up, standing up, taking their power and taking their positions in societies as leaders where they're supposed to be, you know. And that's great because women, we rule with our emotions as well. We feel into things more. And I hope things get back together and all around the world. But I just think bring women in because you won't have any of that behaviour. So we don't do that sort of stuff. So yeah, that's my that's my choice. So right, well, look, the Me Too movement in America, there's been a lot of CEOs, as we mentioned, um, stripped their positions um, because of who they were as human beings, and women have been, been put in their place. Yes. Um, and that's got nothing to do with tokenism or anything like that. I don't care what anybody says about anything. As far as I'm concerned, stick a woman there. She's obviously got the qualifications and let women rule and see what happens. It's going to have a, an effect all down businesses and companies. Let's see what happens when women rule. Don't just wipe them off because it's always been men. We're, we're all about changing the generational mindset in the world and how we view women and their place in society. And the thing is, is my generation, people in their 50s and 60s are still have the old men, especially this is the old stuff. Some of it's, it's hard. They're not, we're not going to get rid of it really quickly. We're not going to stop saying that. They're not going to stop saying the things that we don't like. And we have to deal with it because it's a slow process. You know, we're getting rid of a mindset that, that from grandparents' days, from the 40s, you know, there's still sayings that go around now, which is silly, you know, like a woman's place is in the home. It comes from, you know, a long, long time ago. Uh, but that's passed down this mindset. So we, we're getting rid of a mindset. And as we change the mindset and educate the mindset, women are being able to do more and more and being elevated more and men are understanding how things are supposed to go. I don't think that men do things on a collective. Uh, it's a, the Me Too movement is not an anti-man movement. It's a it's a it's an educational movement about generational mindset and about treating each other with respect, love, and kindness, and supporting everybody to be the best person that they can be by keeping your hands to yourself. When you talk about mindset, I just had this question. You see, women also talk about women getting assaulted because of their dress, or they're provoking the men are like they're asking for it. What do you say to that kind of woman or that kind of a mind, whether it is a woman or a man for that matter? It's amazing that mindset that's come for a really long time ago. When I was a little girl, my grandmother told me I had to be really careful wearing black shiny shoes because men could see my knickers reflected underneath my skirt, right? I know, right? Um, you have to be careful all the time. You have to be. I was, I was, I was educated to be careful standing near puddles when I was a little girl because men might like to look at my knickers in the puddle. I was a little girl. Why should I be bothered that a grown man wants to look at my knickers? But apparently, men will look at your knickers in puddles. You know, I um, 
I was raised where you, you didn't show underwear, you, you sat like a lady, you made sure you crossed your legs, you made sure you wore the right length, the right dress. Women were always told that um, if anything happened that it was their fault, they must have been dressed suggestively. Um, it must have been that, that she asked for it. Um, how does she ask for it when she's saying no? Uh, um, you know, I, I used to work at night and I would always um, come home with my keys. I was always taught to carry your keys. I'd carry my keys sticking out from my fingers, you know, just in case someone decided to, you know, you had a little weapon with you. Uh, you the women were taught that. It's, it, that is not right. It is about men not being to control themselves. Assault is assault is assault. Now, some women feel this way because of their generational mindset, because of the way they were raised, because of their thinking that's ingrained in them. Some men, again, older generation, feel the same way. Each, each woman to their own. But uh, but I think the, the the judgment and how people look at you, it's going to be a long time before that's weeded out of our generational mindset. So I'm thinking by the time the millennials get to their 60s, then maybe that thought process and the way we look at, at other humans might be different. Yeah. You know, I'm going to be around 100 or 80 around then, so hopefully. I'll still be talking, though. I'll still be vibrant. Yes. For this child sexual abuse thing, if if you have to start something or like a change should come out for those things not to happen, what do you think a call to action that you think it is appropriate to start? I think the change has to come from education and education, ed educating about, uh, well, about generational mindset and what has been um, provided down the generations as being acceptable behaviour. Um, I mean, I think sometimes um, we see child sexual abuse happening in families where it's a generational thing and it's an educational thing. They've been educated um, by people who really don't know any better because that's how their parents behaved or that's how their families behaved. So it has to be, it has to come from families. Families is where it happens. And I, I think a lot of child sexual abuse comes from, comes from, and you'd probably know this more than me, historically inside families or a close family unit or a trusted family member, which says family. Uh, and I mean, yeah, there's obviously this outside random stuff that happens with strangers, but a lot of what happens, happens within families. So I think the call to action is, my call to action is to not letting people, to not let people get away with saying things or doing things that are not acceptable in 2021. So if you're around someone who is a particular age, and I don't care if they're a male or a female, and they say something that's racist, sexist, whateverist, and it's not good enough and it's not PC, then it's our, it is our duty to educate them. Right? I have no qualms with educating people. I do it in a polite and well-mannered way. Right? Like my husband, he has friends who are... Uh... Actually, no, it's my husband. I have, I have friends, male friends, who, uh, you know, might talk in a derogatory way about females when they're around each other because that's who they are. And one of my close friends, he won't say anything to them, even though it upsets him. He won't say anything to them because he doesn't want to rock the boat and he doesn't want to be the one that's like, oh, mate, you know, come on. And that's what keeps it all going when people don't say anything. So men, 
step up and talk to your mates and pull them up on the words that they say and pull them up on their behavior do it graciously we're not trying to shame anybody it's just it's about undoing a pattern of speech and a pattern of behavior or a pattern of humor or a pattern of talking about the waitress when you're in a restaurant it's a pattern it's a pattern of communication and a pattern of thought so step up and Pull your friends up on it and say something and if we say something nicely to people around us people that we can say something to i'm not saying be antagonistic um in a gentle way that's how we guide it's about a guide it's not going to be we're going to put out an ad and it's all going to stop this is a work in progress and yep. we're progressing nicely we're at the beginning you know we're, we're not really the beginning we're right in we're in the middle you know we're, we're doing well around the world and we just keep doing it and keep doing what we're doing and um keep pulling people up and women just have to keep opening their mouths and standing up for their rights and go, actually, no, you've just made me really uncomfortable. I don't really like to, I don't like that. If I'm in a situation where I have men, which they do say something to me that is um, not appreciated, I'll actually, I'll actually say to them, actually, mate, you've just made me feel really uncomfortable now by saying that. And they're like, oh, oh, okay. I'm really sorry. I say, yeah, that's, that's really not cool that you said that. So. You know, it's all good. I just want to bring it to your attention. Just like that. Just like that. It's easy. It's soft. It's easy. Um, you've told them if they do it again, then you can start getting more aggressive. You know, but, <laughs> but hey, come in smooth first. If they keep like, making mistakes, then, you know, you can up the ante. All right. What is uh, success to you? Success. Oh, look, success to me, success could be. Uh, success in what I do in my business life. Success could be what I do in my personal life. But personally, for me, success, so success right now for me is, um, is who I am right now. I'm so excited that I'm in touch with my spiritual self. I'm moving forward in the third stage of my life, if you like. I'm moving forward as a single woman with, with plans to be um, financially independent. I'm working towards a great career as an, as an amazing um, um, uh, spiritual intelligence coach with this guy that I'm training with. Everything's moving forward. I have hope. I have happiness. Um, I'm driven. I'm learning. I'm centred. It's just fantastic. So for me, success is exactly where I am now. Um, my family is being successful because we're going our separate ways and, and with love and wonderful and that's success. So success for me is, is, um, is the relationships I have with the people in my life. It's the people who love me and who I love in return. It's the contacts that I have that, um, that help me I keep getting sent these wonderful high vibrating humans like me and they keep elevating me to be a successful person and inspiring me to move forward. And I in turn hope that I inspire others to be the best of them that they can possibly be. And I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm almost there at the best version of me that I'm supposed to be. Okay. Thank you for tuning in. And you can find me on all the socials at Smitha Gunturi and the show notes for any resources mentioned. See you next week. Take care.